Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Overlap. I am, of course, run by Rion. We are recording on a Thursday evening. If you know what happened on Thursday evening, February 23rd, 2023, you know that my beloved team was knocked out of the Europa League. Yay. <laughs> I, I, have, uh, I am done feeling. Uh, that's mentally where I'm at. But I'm not here to complain. I'm here to review. I'm here to analyze. And I'm here to spend time with a friend of mine. Um, very good friend, Rian. How you doing? Um, thankfully, we didn't have to watch Chelsea play Dortmund this week too. Otherwise, it would have just been a capitulation of terrible events. <laughs> and I probably uh, would not well, be here. Hold, well, hold on, <laughs> relax. <laughs> just, relax. Just, just give me something to laugh at, please. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's. I'm not thrilled. We're literally recording like very soon after the game has ended, the game being Barcelona United at Old Trafford. Um, but we didn't get a chance to talk about a lot about La Liga on Tuesday or Monday, whenever it was we last recorded. Um, and we wanted to wait for these Champions League and Europa League games to, to go through because they're pretty significant. Um, the results were very significant, regardless of the actual outcomes. The results were, were pretty incredible. Either way, we were going to see probably it, Rian, we were talking about this offline, but we were probably going, or we were going to see two out of what are probably the four biggest teams in the world go out of European competition, regardless of how you slice and dice this about 30 miles apart from each other in old Trafford and, and Anfield, obviously there's still a second leg to go in Madrid. Um, but Spoiler alert, that might not go very well for Liverpool either. So we're going to talk about all of that. We're going to talk about, the previous league results from the previous weekend uh, as well a little bit but before i get into that how you doing just how's life it's uh it's it's been all right i'm i'm sad that i didn't get to watch um the united barcelona game today during work and and unfortunately not during a time where i could like have like at least like in my ears and like the phone off to the side <laughs> of one of my laptops. Um, but no, everything else is, is good. Uh, we're, we're in this weird part, like weather wise now where we had about two weeks, it felt like of high forties, 50, I think we almost got up to 60 degrees uh, a day or two, like maybe it was two weeks ago, but now we are kind of going in and out of this <laughs> of of the like winter weather and and now it's like kind of wintry again and the amount of people that have just been getting sick in the last few weeks uh like work and and outside of work for me <laughs> i've just no one's body is ready for it for for what the next like 10 20 30 40 50 maybe forever years are going to be like for us. So I don't know. I wonder if they like, we're going to have to come up with some sort of like pill to take that allows your body to, to regulate itself. When the temperature goes from 60 degrees on February 1st to 30 degrees on February 10th or something like that. So that I I'm just, uh, I'm just here for the ride, I guess. But like, it, it's, it's been weird. It's been definitely a weird couple of weeks, like weather wise, and that's concerning. Uh, 
Yeah. No. <laughs> no. You, everything you're saying is super fair. The uh, the ride that you, of course, are referencing might not last that long. It if you look at the Union Square like countdown, it we've got about six years left before <laughs> all this kind of stays the same. So yeah, it could be could be pretty short lived. Uh, if you're talking twenty, thirty, forty. 50 years, uh, I'm going by two, three, four, five years at this point, just to, to make sure we can get through to like the next decade, but neither here nor there. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you knew this just random fun fact, cause you know me and how I deal with the weather. Um, it was, I think like 42, 43 today in New York, it was 80 degrees in DC today. So, uh, about almost a 40 degree temperature swing between the 95 corridor. <laughs> yeah. Mentally. I mean, not even mentally, just we're actually there. So yeah, yeah, we are, we are. Um, but yeah, you know, outside of that, I've been, been watching as much as I can of the U S women's national team the last week during the, she believes cup. And then also mm-hmm. keeping my eye on like in, on England. Uh, cause I think they've had like the, they called like the Arnold Clark cup. It's pretty much the same thing where it's like they have it's invitational invitational tournaments uh but yeah i I'm feeling a bit concerned well actually more than a bit concerned with the with our women's national team uh and i, I tweeted it but like we're, we're going into that world cup playing like vibes and we've still got like some of the best attackers in the world. So leveraging all of that talent and then some of the best midfielders in the world as well. But uh, it's, gosh, it's really making me feel like the Real Madrid type thing where it's just like, oh, well, all of these games too that they they won. uh, And I watched most of all three of them and they were not very good in any of them, but still won every single game because they're just, well, mostly because Mallory Swanson is, is just amazing, but like, it's making me concerned. I'll just, I'll just put it that way. I'm, I'm very concerned at how the, the world cup's going to go for, for the women. Oh yeah. I think a lot of people probably feel that way. Like this isn't a new revolutionary, you know, <laughs> type feeling around the team that we are at least for the women's team in sort of a, a lull slash down period in terms of, form in terms, not necessarily in terms of talent though. That's the the thing, right? It's, it, it is kind of that weird Real Madrid thing, which maybe we should, we should dissect as we get closer to the women's world cup in the summer, but you're giving me ideas. Hard to think about Real Madrid. You can't dissect it. It's just, yeah. it just happens. It's just inevitable. So like Madrid in the, in the Champions League, I should say specifically, but like, it's just inevitable. Right. Yeah, and that's what yeah. almost every goal that I've seen the women's national team score in the last week has just felt like, just like, oh, all oh, right, our attackers are just amazing. That's right. how we did it. Yeah, I, I'm curious how that lasts over, in theory, hopefully what will be like a seven game or a run of like seven-ish games for the, the women's team. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. I, I, I'm not as, I don't know. I don't know yet. I have to gather my thoughts. But anyway. Rian, let's talk about La Liga. Um, we're going to start with the Barcelona United um, tie because there was already a first leg that was played in Barcelona last week. We didn't get a chance to talk about it. Um, in that first leg in Barcelona, I watched both both of these games. 
each team faced 18 shots in that first leg, which is the highest number of shots this season against for Barcelona and the third highest against for United, which is an insane number of shots. And like you and I have talked about shots versus shots on target and kind of how we view that differentiation. It was, it was madness. Like it was such a good open game for a neutral, but for someone who was like genuinely trying to support a team in the side, it was like having periodic, like arrhythmias every couple of minutes. It was horrifying, but really, really entertaining. And once again, we've talked a lot about Marcus Rashford. We've talked a lot about how he fits into United and Ten Hag has made him such an, or, or helped him regain his form. He was once again, electric and United caused Barcelona so many different problems. Barcelona caused United a different set of problems, but certainly they conceded their, their fair share of shots in that second leg though. I think the difference came out came down to not having Pedri and Gabby. And I will always think about that, uh, that second leg as what could have been really what could have been because Barcelona have now only won one of their last 15 games in Europe against teams from the top five leagues. They've <laughs> drawn five and lost nine, which is horrifying. That's a horrifying record. And um, that's about as many defeats as in their 50 previous games against uh, top five opponents. So, yeah. Um, what are your thoughts? Because I could speak for an hour about this, but please <laughs> save me. No, no, I, I, I obviously missing Gavi and Pedri, huge, huge misses, especially when the the replacements were. I think what was it? Boost, Boost gets started start this game. He right? started the second leg, so, and uh, Sergio yeah. Roberto as well. Uh, yeah, came in. Yeah, and, and, and when I saw the lineups, yeah, obviously, uh, you know, most of the time when I see Sergio Roberto, I, I raise an eyebrow, but like <laughs> this, I, I, I style. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, the results do not follow in the same way when when Ancelotti raises his eyebrow. But I at least I understood the why part of it, of why Roberto started because Xavi has committed to this like box midfield, and yeah, if usually that's Gavi or Gavi playing that left wing, basically left center mid kind of thing, left wing slash like left. 10, I guess, um, kind of position. And, 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 uh, Roberto stepping in there, at least like functionally system wise, it makes sense. You know, I, I think that a lot of the coaches really try to, some coaches are very much very adaptable. Like I'm going to, I'll change almost game to game. We've seen that <laughs> work to varying degrees for Grand Potter at Chelsea. We've seen Eric Ten Hag have to do it. Um, early on in this season, when when he switched how Manchester United played, right, and for Xavi, I think for right now he's trying to go with what has obviously been really successful, especially in the last couple of months. I mean, maybe right starting Post from yeah, um, that kind of box midfield, and then you have like Balde as basically the high left attacking option, and and uh, Rafinha as the right wing option on the um for the attack, but I think that he's trying to stay with this system and it makes sense. And that's why it like, makes sense why Roberto came in. Uh, I, I, and 
<laughs> it's also where you see the big drop off there, right? Because I, I think maybe some like my first thought was like, oh, why is that not Antifati starting there? But um, system wise, it, it didn't really make sense, right? So I think that for Barcelona, this is thinking about last week and then uh, obviously like today, but last week and in their group stage Champions League games. The one like slight concern that I think I have with this team, or as they're constructed today, is that defensively, and you basically said it to start off like against these top top teams, they're not exerting the dominance that we see them exert in the in the league, right? Like, defensively, I should say, defensively, we're not seeing it the same dominance, right? And that's like a slight concern for me. Uh, and I don't know for, for you, I know that this was like a disappointing result and there were extenuating circumstances, of course, but I was more disappointed with the overall attack in this game. Cause you think about it, like their best chance of the game, their, their best two chances of the game was obviously Lewandowski's penalty and then that the Lewandowski shot at the very very end that Varane clears off the line but to not be able to create much outside of that um I think is very disappointing in this I know they're missing two very important players but still very disappointing um three 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 Dembele. very important players. Dembele, yeah, of course, of course. Um, although I think Hafini has done well in the in like yeah. deputizing recently. But um, no, definitely get your point. But I don't know. For you, was obviously the defending was could have been better. But like from the attacking point of view, how how did you feel about that game? What's interesting is I thought defensively, Barcelona, like structurally at least, were pretty solid. If you think about the goals that were conceded both of which were out-of-the-box shots, right? One, I mean, both were brilliant. Like, no no doubt. Fred was on his Yeah, they were foot. great strikes. Yeah, and, and Anthony coming off injury, I, I don't even genuinely know how he found that space, like, so far, um, like, away and also at a very, very tight angle to, to get that shot off. I thought defensively and structurally, Barcelona actually were very solid in this game. I love your point about the attacking concerns. I mean, I don't love it because it's a concern, but I love that you made that point because I agree with you. Defensively, I'll just say st statistically, just so everyone knows, in La Liga this season, Barcelona have conceded only seven goals in 22 games, which is on pace for the best historical defensive record ever in La Liga. And in Europe this season, they have A, they've conceded in every game, and B, they've conceded 16 goals in eight games. So almost like a complete flip of that of that narrative in La Liga. And it's, I don't think it's a, a coincidence as well. Shifting away from the defensive stuff though, let's talk about uh, attacking play and how Barcelona approached that. We know that with Pedri on the field, this team is completely different. And even statistically, they're different. They have a significantly higher win percentage with Pedri starting games than when he is not available. And I think you saw a perfect example of well, actually several examples of this today with any combination of Sergio Roberto. And I actually thought Frank Kessie and uh, Busquets played pretty well in this game, but 
what they didn't have was that that pausa, right? That you know, a lot of people in Spain talk about. There was no level of control to how long you really had or how long Barcelona had the ball. There was very little in the way of looking to really dominate central areas to allow a player like, let's say, Frankie de Jong, who had to carry the ball several times to allow him to do that, right? It was very much, at times, it felt like a one-man structural show with de Jong doing that. And everyone else around him was way too frantic, way too frantic when they were in position, in possession. So I, I kind of think about like what you do in that situation, and you don't really have many options if you're Xavi, right? You have maybe utilizing Pablo Torre, who is a, a child, a literal child at this point, not to say Pedro and Gabi are not, but again, different levels. But beyond what Xavi also had, it's sort of difficult. His three star players this season, especially Pedro, Gavi, and Dembele, all out, it's really, really difficult. I will, I will say too, while Lewandowski scored the penalty, his his run of form since the World Cup has actually been relatively relatively poor. He's, of course, scored now 25 goals in 30 games in all competitions this season, which is a great goal-scoring record. We, we'd all sort of expect that of him at this point, even, uh, you know, in his mid-30s. But it's it's actually been relatively poor in both big games and in terms of consistency. So just something to keep in mind, too, as we head towards a Clasico next week, right, in the Copa del Rey semifinal first leg, and then a March Clasico in La Liga as well. There was always this narrative, and I'll, I'll wrap up on this point, when he was at Bayern, that at times he didn't show up in the biggest of games, but then he would go on and score like three, like hat-trick like the next weekend, and everyone would be like, all right, well, okay, it's fine. <laughs> it's just it's just us maybe overreacting. I'm starting to see a little bit of what Bayern fans may have seen <laughs> in, in previous seasons. Yeah, that'll be interesting to, to see for the rest um, as we kind of progress through the rest of this season. Uh, it, it's it's tough because, like, the second the second half specifically, I mean, Barcelona only had two shots the entire half. And so it, it's always that kind of argument of whether service versus you know, the the final product actually not being there for, for Lewandowski specifically. But, yeah, I, I think... No matter what, like these are two teams that are not the finished article yet, right? And so we got two really, really fun games, and especially that first game where it's just like th this is this is kind of like the the big like value prop for for uh, the Europa League where these teams are full of very very good players, like very talented players. But we all know that they're they're quite imperfect, and there's a reason why they're not in the Champions League, right? But it leads to these really fun games because because neither side is great, and it just leads to uh, <laughs> at times very chaotic games, uh, but but also extremely entertaining. And I think that you know Barca going out to Manchester United at this point in the competition, they'll be they'll be upset that they went out at this point in the competition, but. Manchester United right now are a team that is very coherent in terms of what they're trying to do, and they know what they're trying to do. And Eric Ten Hag has coached this team very beautifully, like this entire season. Honestly, like, I 
said a while ago where just like the ability to completely change what he wanted this team to play like realizing that they couldn't and then and making them play so well in this kind of um it's not a necessarily new identity there's a lot of elements to this that that uh were evident under Gunnar Solskjaer right and in that kind of counter-attacking style but he's doing it in a way that they're also very very balanced throughout the entire the entire lineup so I I think that yeah you're, you're upset that you went out but like this is this is not like a bad this is an imperfect Manchester United team but the way that they're playing they're very tough I think to beat especially right now in, in these knockout competitions because as we saw today like they still have a few guys who are very good finishers so. And I'll, I'll I'll just say this before we move on to the the next game. Both of these teams, Barcelona and, and Manchester United, right now are playing like their Champions League level teams. This felt a hundred percent like a Champions League tie. It, there's no you know reason or, or I guess a reason to think otherwise. Um, both of these teams obviously more than likely will be in the Champions League next season. Um, and to wrap up on this this game specifically, while Barcelona now have been eliminated from European competition, it's four times in literally the last year and 78 days between Champions League knockouts and Europa League knockouts. This wasn't a humiliation. And to your point about United, we played what is a very, very up-and-coming United side right now. And I didn't feel at any point that we were out of it, that we were just getting slapped around and like completely dominated and same other way around. I don't think we were all over United and, and I, don't, I don't think that they ever felt out of it at any point. And that's sort of what we love about the sport. So yeah, am I sad that we're out a hundred percent? Am I worried about what's going to do our summer transfer budget a thousand percent as well. But at the same time, like I, I, I kind of hang my hat, hat a little high on that, but Rian, let's shift focus. <laughs> let's talk about, a team that uh, I don't know if they can hang their hat on much right now. Um, <laughs> Liverpool, Real Madrid. This game, of course, was played on Tuesday. Again, 30-some miles away from Old Trafford. <sighs> I I felt like this game was going to be high scoring about 30 seconds in when Liverpool decided, we're going to go back to our roots, the gagging press route. We're going to press like mad with what can only be described as uh, a father-son duo in terms of age difference in midfield. And I, I I was genuinely blown away at the level of talent that was just showed in the first like 10 minutes of this game from both sides. I say that in relation to Darwin Nunez's goal. And I say that in also the ways that Real Madrid tried to play out of the press in the first 10 minutes. I thought it was really fascinating to see Luka Modric drop so deep again and what felt like Real Madrid, Real Madrid were being pinned back. Nunez goes on to score Liverpool's fastest ever Champions League goal, that, goal at Anfield. Fastest ever. And then everything kind of unraveled. Awesome goal. Amazing goal. Like, I... You know what's sad about this? This the saddest thing about this game is that goal is going to be overshadowed by the scoreline. Entirely overshadowed. That was an outrageous flick. Like th that's some shit that you see only a from Brazilians and b on like FIFA Street. That was it, it was beautiful. Like 
Puskas worthy in my opinion, but it's not going to get the credit it deserves. But anyway, let's talk about basically the point after that goal and everything afterwards, because between Courtois' mistake, Allison's mistake and everything else, where do you want to begin? <laughs> I mean, you know, Courtois' mistake was one of the most hilarious things I've ever seen <laughs> from a professional soccer player. The the guy literally didn't like missed a touch and need the ball directly into Masala's <laughs> run. It's it was it was actually amazing. They kept they showed the kept showing the replay, and I was actually almost brought to tears with with laughter. But um, <laughs> yeah, look, look the first fifteen or so minutes, Liverpool, like, as you said, were all over them, right? Like completely all over um madrid and specifically like they pretty much put up all their best chances right in that 15 minute span i think they, they had one other like very good chance i can't i can't remember who exactly it was um i think after madrid i think it was Mo- Mo Salah, back. i think it was Salah, Salah, yeah. again because it was that clearance off the line essentially from Militao. yes and it was like a combination of Salah and Nunez. And you felt like at that point, okay, Liverpool are still not out of it. Even after Venetia scored, again, a wonderful goal. Like, truly beautiful. Out of nothing. Out of nothing. And, and once again, <laughs> Real Madrid, like, they hauled themselves back into this game from pure, just outstanding individual quality. He's surrounded by at least three different Liverpool players and he's way far to the left side of the penalty area and like right at the almost up at the like upper limit of the of the uh penalty box and then curls it beautifully to beat Allison uh and and I think from there in general the entire game Liverpool kept trying to make it chaotic Right and, and and look, we know that that's how Jurgen Klopp wants a team to play, right? But I think there's something to be said for not just not throwing away your whole philosophy of how you want your team to play, right? But realizing that your team cannot play that way anymore for for. 90 minutes? Hell, they can't play that way for 45 minutes anymore. Like, I was going to really. say, 90 <laughs> minutes would be a miracle. Yeah. And and so there's there's another level of, I think, of uh, coaching where you're up to nil. By the grace of God, you're somehow up to nil because Courtois wanted to gift you a goal. You know, wait, 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 before you, before you no, say no, anything no. else, I know I sent this to our, our group chat about this, but like that meme about like landlord raising rent because I asked him to was literally this game. Like Courtois must have legitimately saw what I texted all of you, but like that continue because you can't explain it. <laughs> it's, it's truly unexplainable. But um, I, I know I think from the Liverpool point, I I don't even blame the players anymore because it is what it is. Like Fabinho and Henderson are 
pretty much shot athletically now and they're and they're older and they're older players like i you can't expect them to play like that for five straight seasons and think that there's not going to be any sort of knock-on effect right it's really disappointing on the coaching point of view where they get that two goal lead you know the team you know that you cannot play breakneck speed anymore there has to be some sort of aware, like situational awareness is really what disappointed me the most. Situational awareness of the players, the coaching staff, everyone. Everyone's still trying to, like, this, look, Trent is amazing at these, at, at passing and amazing at, like, playing these specific types of balls, but still playing those, like, first time, I'm just going to hit it straight and, and hit it try to hit it into darwin's or or sala's path and and you know the 80 percent of the time where those passes don't come off immediately starting a break for 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 real madrid and specifically yeah. times where 37 year old modric is just running through your entire midfield I, i'm thinking specifically of the what's it the fifth goal the the benzema fifth goal, goal yeah where you know, God bless the kid by by set by by Chetich, by Chetich, I think is how it's pronounced. Um, he obviously couldn't deal with it, and obviously Fabinho and Henderson couldn't deal with any runs coming through the midfield. So that kind of situational awareness, situational coaching awareness, where they're <laughs> they're just still going direct, direct, direct when they cannot do it anymore is like it's just coaching malpractice, honestly, and then. You saw like the that kind of effect in the second half where they just couldn't get anything going, and the second half, obviously Madrid scored like three goals, but like Liverpool didn't put up anything from an attacking point of view. And so, can I? I, I want to ask you a question on this this point because you, I feel like the route that you're going down. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Is that you use the phrase coaching malpractice? Let's talk about that for a second. I kind of saw it a different way. I thought a large portion of that second half was almost entirely down to the players and reading again, that situational awareness that you referred to. I thought they were really poor in that sense. And I thought that corner or not, I guess it was not a corner. It was a free kick routine by the corner flag um, where Real Madrid scored their third goal and took the lead. And the game was (laughs) mentally, it was shot and gone from Liverpool. That was like basic defending gone wrong. And then the fourth goal was counterattacking principles 101 gone wrong. And same with the fifth goal. That to me, those type of recurrent mistakes can't purely be put on Jurgen Klopp and the coaching staff. At some point, you do have to look at the players individually and say, why were you not recognizing in the same way that like an NFL safety or a linebacker has to read a specific player in terms of where they're going? Like, how are you not able to read a certain situation, right? That I think comes down to to specific players executing rather than, again, coaching staff have to line them up in a proper way and, and make them aware of, of how the opposition, you know, run certain routines or might play. But I, I saw it as a lot more individual player mistakes and maybe even collective mistakes, but less to do with the coaching staff. I didn't even ask the question in there, but rebut that basically. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I look, there's, there's always some sort of combination of player and coaches in these results, right? I, I don't mean to put that all, put it all on, on, um, Klopp and his coaching staff. It, it's, the players have to do better, obviously. Uh, I, I just, I think a couple of them can't do better. This <laughs> is kind of the, um, harsh reality. Or specifically looking at the, the midfield. But I don't know. I, I, I think that they are obviously in this something of a transition, right? That we, we know that that midfield, sh- we expect that that midfield will look much different ne- next season. But, uh, I think to kind of keep going out and playing this way when you know that your team just cannot is really, really concerning. I mean, at least we didn't talk about the game, the the Newcastle-Liverpool game that much. Um, At least we didn't get into details on it. We talked a lot about Bacetic. But Liverpool up a man against Newcastle still conceded over two XG in that game. They were outshot by Newcastle in total. Like (laughs) that's not something that would have happened to this team. Definitely like, like at last season or any of the past five seasons and really should have hit like more alarm bells. (laughs) It's like going into this game against Madrid, who, um, honestly, like they 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 finished beautifully. They executed as they all as they almost always do. Executed very well, but they didn't have to be amazing during that game. They weren't amazing, and they didn't have and to be. Not not even were they not amazing. They very well could have dropped points during that game. Like it, it would not have been difficult, and I don't think any of us would look at it and say, "Oh, that was a surprising result." If they had actually drawn or lost that game. Because they did concede some some big chances, like we talked about, um, like briefly. But yeah, I I completely agree with you. We can talk about what the solution to all this is for Liverpool, but at the end of the day, I think we said it earlier this week and last week. They do need a squad revamp, similar to like the pre 2017 um, season, where I think that's when they brought in Sadio Mane and Mosala. Um, if my years are correct, but yeah, yes. I think so. Yes. That's probably what Liverpool need. Um, last thing I'll, I'll mention on this game is because Real Madrid just make absolutely no sense in the champions league. And we've just all fundamentally accepted that as God's given truth. This was Real Madrid's second champions league game um, in a row with five or more goals for the first, for the second time ever, if that makes sense. So they've scored five or more goals in consecutive champions game, champions league games for the second time ever. And Oh, by the way, this was their second chair. This was their, how do I phrase this? They had the second highest difference between their XG and their goals since I believe 2013, 2014. The difference was 3.34. They scored five goals, had an XG of 1.66. I believe that was around the same XG that Liverpool had, and especially based on those, um, those two goals that they scored. But I, <clears throat> I don't. I don't know. Like I can't explain. <laughs> yeah, those, I, those, those, they're, they're insane, right? But but the thing you have to like think about, like yes, that actually was very close. But as you said, like after basically after like twenty minutes, Liverpool didn't create any more chances, and that's really where the game was lost for them. 
hundred percent. Well, Ryan, let's take a break because I need it after talking about these ridiculous games, and we'll talk about some of the fun things going on in La Liga, and then some uh, a pretty big disappointment. And we've got two very big games coming up over the next week. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. We're going to talk all about La Liga now. We're going to talk nothing European football, um, kind of ish. You'll see what I mean in a second, but. Let's talk a little bit about the surprises and, and some of the fun stuff going on in the league, Rian. Uh, a couple things that I want to touch on. A team that I selected at the beginning of the season in our pre-season kind of pre preseason preview. Is that a? Th- Can you say that? That's a phrase. All right, I'm gonna just assume that's a phrase. Um, <laughs> I I selected Sevilla as my team that was likely going to disappoint me the most. That prediction has not disappointed me, but of course the team very much has over the course of the season from moving on from Lopetegui. Now, of course, um, in charge is Argentinian bald man, Jorge Sampioli. Uh, I don't know why I had to roast him like that, but it is what it is. But in a fun turn of events for Sevilla, they've now racked up five going, I believe six now, wins in a row at home, which prior to Sampioli coming on, um, it, basically returning as, as a manager, they had won, I believe, only one. Uh, I think it was prior to the World Cup at that point. So... That has been a massive, massive resurgence for them. I think it really started when they um, played basically what seemed like like the relegation teams back to back to back in, about a month ago. It's worked out pretty well for them. And um, a big reason for that is Lucas Ocampos coming back in the winter transfer window from Ajax. Went for a hot second. Didn't really work out. Um, he actually, funny enough, has more goals for Sevilla in all competitions um, since his debut season in 2019-2020 than I believe anyone else in the squad at this point um, over the same period of time, even though he was gone for like half a season plus a pretty bad injury last year. So he's hit his stride as well. And they're through to the next round of the Europa League um, after their game against PSV today. So they've gone farther than, um, than Barcelona, which is a massive, massive win in probably their eyes. <laughs> Yeah, they've <laughs> the turnaround is nothing short of exceptional and and kind of miraculous because look, they're still in terms of like expected goal difference, they're still like one of the four worst teams in La Liga, which is insane when you also look at you know Valencia sitting in nineteenth and they're like tenth in their expected goal difference. So it's they're 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 obviously getting the the luck at times when they need it and. They we said it like a while ago, but like they're too talented to go down, right? They're still. I know they lost a lot, like very important talented players over the summer, but there's still too much talent on that team for them to go down, right? Um, and it's nice to see, and the series starting to get back to his best, um, and from I think a coaching point of view. Sampoli has to be extremely, extremely excited with the fact that they've been able to weather the really hard storm that when he came in, because it's not like he came in and they had that, you know, quote unquote, new manager boost. They were still getting smacked. They were still losing games consecutively. Um, so it's obviously taken time, but I think, you know, you throw in, the recent form in the league and then them getting through to the next round in the Europa league as well. 
man, it's it's that's how quickly things can change to this sport. Uh, I, I'm I'm very hesitant to say that they're like home clear, mostly because of the the expected goal difference <laughs> numbers that I that I just mentioned, uh, but. Like the all that matters when you're in that position, right, is just getting the points, and and they've been getting the points, um, like three wins in their last five games overall, and only one loss in in these last five games. Like that that when they need them, when they need them the most, they're getting them right now, the points, and and that's kind of all that matters as we as as we get as we kind of like progress through this eight team <laughs> relegation battle that is going on in Spain. Yeah, the relegation battle is nuts, and we'll get to that in a second. But I'm glad you pointed out their um, expected goal difference as well. It's one of the worst in La Liga this season, and for good reason. Like, they have been defensively poor all season, and that's only recently starting to change. I think largely, again, based on their opposition, but also consistency is key in this game. When you do rack up a couple of good games back-to-back and you let that sort of builds into European competition and games against the top three and top four um, that allows that basically allows a starting 11 that hasn't really been a starting 11 to build consistency and chemistry with each other. And I think that's actually been one of the secrets to Sevilla getting back into form um, now in, in La Liga specifically, they sit in 12th, which is a far cry from where they were about three months ago. Of course, not really out of the clear yet, but realistically they are from like a relegation standpoint, even though they're only three points clear of the drop, which is a weird thing to say, but everyone is kind of within like two points of each other. So that's going to be a wild end to the season. Anyway, Rian, um, what I'm about to say, this is not related to Sevilla anymore. What I'm about to say, you, um, I would say you can never repeat it to everyone else, but this is being recorded and we're going to post it, but I'll say it anyway. Um, I have to give my flowers to a certain Real Madrid midfielder that plays down the right-hand side of that team for, uh, I don't really know what his true position is. And quite frankly, I don't even know if Carlo Ancelotti knows what his, his true position is, but Fede Valverde, let's talk about him. He's now scored seven goals in La Liga this entire season. Of course, he's, he scored in... Um, Gosh, the Club World Cup competition twice and and both the games that they played. He, I think, long story short, kind of went through some off-field issues, personal issues that really struck his his form and, and he suffered a bit of a dip in form, completely understandable as well. But that Club World Cup really turned things around for him, scored two goals in two games. But the best part about all this is statistically, he scored seven goals this season from just under three XG, which is a massive, massive overperformance. Like, I don't know what it is in comparison to other players in Europe's top five, but that has to be near the top for sure. Like, a, a like, what is it? Four, thir- three, four uh, yeah. XG difference? I mean, a lot of the goals come out from outside the box, right? And that's the key, right? Especially, like, that top right corner is has become his specialty. It's also the reason why um, I believe it was against Osasuna. I have to double check, but their game against Osasuna last weekend, um, he scored in something like the 78th minute at a very difficult place in El Sadar to go. And historically a place the Real Madrid have really suffered. And the reason they probably won that game was Fede Valverde. So 
I do have to give him my flowers. He's certainly proving to be a very efficient, productive player, but I still, I will maintain, I don't think he's a, of course, Real Madrid's best midfielder, but B, there are certain things that he still doesn't do well. And I would, if I'm a Real Madrid fan, which I'm not, would like to see him grow into that. That's all. But he deserves flowers for his goal scoring record. Certainly. Happy? Yeah. Yeah, dude. First team all dog, bro. <laughs> That's that's what he gives you. I hate you so much. I'm moving <laughs> on to the next point. I'm not even validating that with a response. All right, last flowers set of flowers that I will give out for uh, for this week in La Liga. It's Ferran Torres, Rian. Um, not for his 20 minute cameo against United because that doesn't really count. But against uh, Cadiz at the weekend at uh, the Camp Nou, Ferran Torres was the reason for I believe it was Barcelona's second goal. It was absolutely otherworldly. The dribble that he dribbled around two, maybe three Cadet defenders and put in a cross that eventually led to a goal from Sergio Roberto. He racked up 10 dribbles against Cadet on 13 attempts, which is the most by a player in a La Liga match this season, which interestingly enough, if you think about someone like Vinny Jr., I would have thought he would have topped that list, but nope, Ferran Torres now tops that list. Um, of course, that might change by the end of the season, but at time of recording. And that's the most by a Barcelona Spanish player in the league since 12 years ago. And Andres Iniesta put up uh, just as many as well. So Ferran Torres putting in probably his best performance of the season uh, or in a Barcelona shirt, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, that's great for him too, because it's become pretty apparent um, at least since the World Cup and probably you might say even before then that he is the odd man out when you look at the winger options that, that Barca play with. And especially now that they're playing with that box midfield, like even tougher for him to get into the team. Uh, so it's, it's great to, it's great to see that he is able to actually still be reliable when, when they need him to be. But uh, I think for, for Barca in general, as we get through this stretch run of the season, that depth is obviously going to be tested a bit more and more now because you, you can't play Gavi and, and Petri every single game. Like that, that's probably one of the big criticisms that I have for Xavi, at least like this season. And you may have seen it sometimes last season too, but the management of the squad itself, it's gotta be better. Like they're 18, 19 year olds. Petri's, I, I'm very concerned for Petri's long-term career considering how many games he's already played. Um, as a professional in the last like, two to three years. Like, and I know that, that earlier on this season, they really tried to take their time with bringing him back. But but it, it's something that needs to just be monitored much more closely than it has been, um, especially in the last 12 months. So it'll be really beneficial for, obviously beneficial for, for um, Barcelona if, if Ferran Torres can step in and be effective when they need him to be. Because... You know, his minutes are probably still not going to jump by that much because of the system that Barcelona are playing, but they're still going to need him, especially in this stretch run. 100%. Yeah, and I think Xavi knows that. Um, <laughs> when you have Dembele out injured, Ansu Fati completely out of form, you're left with, with Lewandowski, Rafinha, and Ferran Torres. And that very well could be a front three if Xavi were to play that, but of course he really has in the last couple of uh, weeks. So great very, very quickly before, before yeah. we move on, uh, cause you just 
kind of talked a bit about it with Ansu Fati. As for you, what do you, what do you feel like is the has been the biggest challenges for him this season? Do you, how much of it do you put down to like coming off of a lot of injuries, and obviously it's going to take some time. But uh, how, how much of it do you feel like he's is actually like regression that ha- that has happened to to his uh, development? So, I actually I haven't had a chance to really like address this in any way on the podcast, but I'll I'll just make it brief because I know we're coming up on time. I'm really worried for Ansu Fati, like not in terms of his production right now or his form right now. That's not really what concerns me just in the immediate term. I'm actually really concerned that the knee injuries that he's had, which were very significant, by the way, I'm very concerned that those injuries have completely knocked down his ceiling from what we could potentially see of what was a very, very, very good player. And I can only hope that it's largely mental and getting it to a point to where he can trust his body again should be the number one priority. But you can see in the sprints that he's made, in the positions that he's taken up, it feels like he's just a little bit out of place. And that burst of acceleration that he used to have may not be where it once was. And probably his most favorite skill set is his accuracy with his shooting. And that has been very far off. And I'm not sure if they're, again, that's mental or truly physical, but I think the answer to, to how he gets back to form is spending time with his, his body and getting back to a point where he can trust it. But I like long-term I'm very worried, even if he he is only 20, like, I don't want to say like, reminds me of like a Michael Owen type situation, but like, yeah, it's, I, I don't get the good vibes <laughs> right now. <laughs> Yeah, like the, the, those knee injuries are really scary. So it's, um, yeah, I'm I'm concerned as well. So hope, obviously hope that he gets back to it, but but For the sure. injuries are really concerning. Yeah, well, Rian, let's wrap up and talk a little bit about some of the news um, coming out of Valencia because that's probably the most disappointing thing, just as it relates to Spanish football in general. Um, Valencia are now, I think they've gone on seven losses in a row in all competitions. They, of course, their fans are up in outrage. If you know, you're listening, you haven't heard uh, Peter Lim, who is the owner of Valencia, Singaporean billionaire, um, of course, brought in uh, Ruben Baraja is their, their new head coach famed um, Valencia players spent, I believe 10 seasons at the club um, as a player, Everyone in Valencia is just really pissed off, I think, with Peter Lim at this point from his lack of, you know, real investment in the team or focus in the team. Um, They're risking relegation right now for the first time in what I believe is 33 years. And this has just been a really far and sad uh, fall from grace because this is we're talking about a team that has one of the biggest histories in La Liga. They were in Champions League finals. They won the league, you know, 20 years ago. Um, this this is a truly big team. And from not being able to hold on to, you know, Ferran Torres, for example, Carlos Soler, um, Gonzalo, Gonzalo Giddish, um, like there's just so much wrong right now with, with Valencia's leadership. I don't know at what point Peter Lim decides to sell the club, but it feels like it, it truly... It has to get to that point because I don't know how much longer Valencia fans can really take this 
it's really disappointing. Like th- this team was in a Champions League final. Granted, it was twenty years ago, but this <laughs> this century, yeah. dude. Yeah. Like, like this, and, and this, and in general, this is one of the biggest clubs in Spain. So to see this kind of decline, and it's not like it's just been this season, right? Like we talked about, uh, what was it last season when they had to sell off players, right? Like guys like Danny Parejo leaving for pretty much nothing, like almost like literally nothing. Uh, they had to sell Ferran Torres a few, a few years ago for like 20 million euros. It, it's really, really sad, honestly. And, and uh, to see a club like this, who's just sliding into the deep end now, like fully in a relegation battle. I, I said it earlier that like some of that, they've been unlucky, right? Like with, Sort of like the chances that they've created and conceded, but uh, it's really sad. It's just it's just very sad, and I don't know how long Peter Lim has been the the owner, but we're talking about like f- about four years now, where you've seen this kind of steady decline of the team of the club, not not necessarily the team, but the finances, how it's run, the players that have had to leave, the managers that have left, and it, it feels always like not surprising that we're at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really doesn't. And that's probably the saddest part about this is like, n- no one can look at the situation and from the structure of, of how Valencia's leadership works now under Lim, who is very detached from everything to uh, manager appointments that are kind of out of nowhere. It, it all, it's, it's, it's just sad. It, that's, there's nothing else to no way. To, to phrase it anyway. So I'll, I'll end on a high note, Rian, moving away from Valencia. We have, I believe the Madrid Derby is this weekend. Did I get my dates right? I Today is the 23rd of February. And yes, Saturday. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm not going crazy, thank God. Um, Real Madrid play Atletico. That's always going to be a fun one. Uh, I believe this time it's at the Santiago Bernabeu. I will double check on that. Yes, it is. Um, Atletico... Haven't beaten Real Madrid like much in recent history. I think since well, basically once in 2018 um, was or no, sorry, they beat them once last did year. They, did they beat them? Not did they not beat them during the season that they won the title? I would say the last season that they won the title. I could be wrong. No, I don't think so. Um, they. Atletico have only beaten Real Madrid once since 2018 was what I was supposed to say. And even prior to that, the last time they beat them, I think was maybe 2014, something like that. Um, So the reason why I bring this up is because um, if you are a betting person, which Rihanna, I'm specifically looking at you for this. um, Yeah. You know where to put your money because it's, this is like the annual free bet. Um, <laughs> convention, I guess, because yeah, so, so Atletico to just not win, basically, just 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 not win. <laughs> smash! That I mean, money they've, they've looked better um, recently, right? And a lot of that having to do with Griezmann has come back from the World Cup and has been fantastic. Like, like he was fantastic in the World Cup, right? But but he's been fantastic since coming back to Atletico, and I feel like a lot of it has had to do with him playing a very similar role to the role that he played on France during the world cup, where he's like not quite 
um a forward not quite the the midfield of like a center mid but but does both jobs pretty much and and he's been fantastic for them and, and also feels like Simeone's gotten back to to basics like look the the clear the clear out of a few players in in January has probably allowed him to get back to to basics and and look now they're playing a they're playing a very clear identity and and I, I always sometimes kind of flinch at that identity tag of, of teams but I think for this case trying to make the wonderful like attacking players that they had signed over the last few years to play the way that Diego Simeone wants his teams to play. The negative effects have just been pretty obvious, like for at least the first half of this season, right? Where uh, he just didn't have the players to play the way that he wanted to play. And, and, and he basically moved some of them out <laughs> in January. And, and it, it's uh, hey, no hey, surprise. Don't, don't forget. Don't forget. You won. Right. Yes, I did. I did. Yeah, I, I am definitely. I am definitely a beneficiary of that clear out. I, I will. It stands true. I will never be upset with that outcome. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I think I think for Atletico, just things have become very simplified for the for the the team, and it's just. Uh, I think it's easier for Simeone to coach this style to the current group of players that he has right now, rather than trying to make those attacking players or those more technical players, something that they're not. 100%. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And I do think Atletico are in a better position than they were two months ago prior to the start of the year. But at the same time, I don't foresee them finishing second or anything like that. So um, yep, I very much expect Real Madrid to win on Saturday. And the, the last thing I'll mention we're looking forward to is, I mentioned it earlier, but the first leg of the Copa del Rey semifinal between Barcelona and Real Madrid. It's, we get three Classicos in, I have to j- double check how many days, but it's about the span of two weeks. So I'm thrilled. Um, and Pedri's legs, I hope, are ready for the second leg. Anyway, with that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you as always for listening. We'll be back next week after this weekend's games. I think the Champions League comes back next week as well, right, Rian? I have to double check my dates. I'll check that. I, I believe no. I think that next week is the is like the week off. It's usually in between. Yep. Uh, so we'll be back in two weeks. <laughs> yes, we're talking about Champions League. All right. Thank you, as always, everyone. And we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, guys.